Please turn also to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, the text for this morning is Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. We'll read from verse 5 through verse 15. This also is God's holy word. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. May we go to our God and ask for His blessings on the reading and also the preaching of this Holy Word. Our Lord God, we thank You, Father, for You indeed are wonderful. Father, You indeed are merciful. And that we marvel that You who are holy and righteous would receive sinners. That we are not vaporized by Your holiness. That we are not consumed. Father, we acknowledge that it is only through our Lord Jesus Christ that we have hope for forgiveness. Father, we acknowledge that our hearts are those such that we are so quick to judge others and to condemn them. Yet, You are one who provides for our very need. That You are one who is far more gracious than we are. We pray, Father, that You would grant us an understanding about Your heart. Your heart of kindness, of generosity, of forgiveness. Father, help us to learn these things. And Father, we pray in thanks that You are the one who receives sinners. Father, we pray that the good news of the gospel would go forward this day. That it would transform our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, that if any are here who do not know you, we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty work. That you would bring us to repentance. That you would bring us everlasting life through your Son. And we pray, Father, that your Son would be exalted and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I recall back in my days in elementary school that uh, at times the teacher would give out an exam and then the teacher would say, okay, I'm going to have you pass your exam to your fellow student to your left or, or someone next to you. 
and everyone would pass their exams around. Say, okay, you're going to help correct your fellow student's exam. And any time that happened, I knew I was always in the worst of trouble. You know why? It's because the teacher was always more gracious and lenient with correcting the exams. It was always the students, your fellow student, who would argue with you. No, 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 you got this wrong, this is wrong, right? You don't get any partial credit. And in partial credit fund, you get one out of six points instead of five out of six that the teacher would have given you. And you realize there's something about that. There's something about dealing with those points, dealing with that test. Because back in elementary school, at least mine, there was no grading on a curve. So why, why would it matter? <clears throat> why would it matter if, if your fellow student got more points than you? Everyone can get an A. There's no problem with that. But you realize that this is the very matter that's raised in, in the Lord's Prayer in this petition. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Something about dealing with our peers. That when the student deals with the teacher, or oh, the teacher is generous, the, the teacher wants a raise, right? The teacher wants the students to be happy because that's job security. But the students, they don't care. They don't care about the happiness, the satisfaction, or even the learning about their fellow students. And so you think about how you and I interact with those who are around us. Think about those who are nearest to you. Your siblings. Think about your spouse. You think about your parents, your children. Think about your neighbors, those who, are, uh, who live close by you. Uh, your co-workers. And then you think about people that you don't know at all. People that you meet every day. And then you think about their interactions with them. And how you and I should be instructed by this fifth petition. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here Jesus is giving us instruction regarding true religion. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus explains what his people have forgotten for far too long. Or perhaps what his people never quite got right. You look back, Leviticus uh, 19, it really did say, love your neighbor. That love your neighbor as yourself, that was there in the Old Testament. But how often was that emphasized? And then you look at the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> where, where Jesus reminds them of what was there all along. This was your duty, to love your neighbor. That this idea of uh, an eye for an eye, the goal of the eye for an eye was not taking your neighbor's eye. The goal was actually that there would be some type of justice so that you guys can actually get along again. That there would be, hey, we're even. Now let's, let's love one another again. And that the focus became, what can I take from you to obtain that justice? Rather than, hey, is there such a thing as justice from God? Are we able to accept that the goal of this was actually the love of neighbor? So when we look at this passage, Jesus is instructing us regarding prayer and how often it is that I, I need the reminder about prayer that if anything this Lord's prayer has been instructive for me regarding what I'm lacking in my own prayers what I'm lacking in public prayers and here we think about how the Lord Jesus gives us instructions about how we ought to pray what we ought to pray for 
And this, this instruction that He gives us is so simple, so concise, that all we need to think about are the application of such things and how they have bearing upon your life and mine. So we see in this, in this petition, the Lord's Prayer's fifth petition calls you to a life of repentance before God and forgiveness towards men. The Lord's Prayer's fifth petition calls you to a life of repentance before God and forgiveness towards men. We'll look at this in two points. The first is your plea for forgiveness before God. And the second, your pattern of forgiveness towards men. So the first point, your plea of forgiveness before God. We have this in the first part of verse 12. And forgive us our debts. So when we look at the Lord's Prayer, there was the the preface, Our Father who is in heaven. And then there were six petitions, three, the first three of which dealt directly with God, and the second set of three dealing with man. Very similar to the way that the Ten Commandments are set up. First four dealing with God directly, and the latter six dealing with men. Now, granted, all the commandments and all these petitions in the Lord's Prayer involve God, but it's how are they directly related? The first three here, first three petitions, deal directly with God, and these latter latter three uh, deal with our interaction with man. Last week, we looked at the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. So you have, of these latter three petitions, one that relates to the physical body. Refers to not just uh, bread, not just the wheat or barley loaves, but it refers to food in general. It refers to our daily sustenance, all the things that we need for life. And I hope you can see that in verse 12 and 13, of these three petitions that relate to man, one relates to our physical body, yet these two relate to our souls. These two relate to our souls, specifically the matter of sin. Verse 12, talking about forgiveness from God, and also forgiving men. And then verse 13 in the sixth petition about temptation and deliverance from evil. So here we have the word debt. So perhaps you might be asking, what is this debt of mine being referred to? Is is this the government coming after me again for my student loans? Is, is Is that what this is about? And the answer is no. It's not a debt about finances. And when you think about finances, finances and financial debts are so simple. The worst complication is, okay, you borrowed this in, um, in renminbi, and you need to pay it back in dollars 30 years later. So, so you think about the interest, you think about the conversion rates, and all these things. Well, that's the worst complication that you have. But... But at the end of the day, you put money, you took money out of an account, and you have to put money back into an account, and you probably need to pay some type of interest to account for inflation. That's so simple. But you realize that sin is not that simple. Because that person that you hated, right, and you mistreated, and that you didn't do the positive things that God requires, right? Because so we're so focused on sins of commission. Uh, active negative things that we do against people, that people think of sin as, as the, the hatred. But then, 
How often do we think about sin as the acts of omission? The things you should have done. Hey, I haven't killed anyone. Hey, but have you helped people? Have you shown kindness to people? The, the times that we see people in need and we look away, that people tend to forget about those things, that those are actually sins, that God defines those as sins, where others have need and we don't meet them. So we think about these debts. Sinners are debtors to God's holy justice. The soul who sins is the soul who will die. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham, speaking to God, he's talking about uh, the people uh, the people who are righteous in uh, the, the Sodom, and whether or not God would spare the city for the sake of certain, certain men. And then you have the numbers where Abraham is going down, down, and down, and down. And God is saying, hey, for the sake of, was it 50 men? For the sake of 40 men or whatever. And, and the numbers decrease. And he says, for the sake of 40 men, I will not judge the city. And ultimately what God is saying is that there weren't 40 people that were just in Sodom. And Abraham's reasoning with God is, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? And the answer is, he is just. God defines justice. He never violates His justice. So that when sinners, when you and I are debtors to His justice, it means that our debt will be paid. We will pay it. Someone will pay for it. You look at the guilt of your sins. So it's not about finances. It's not about money. It's about your sins. It's about the guilt of your sins. What does your guilt amount to? That is the golden question. What does your guilt amount to? In Psalm 130, the question the psalmist asks, If you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? The answer is, nobody. Nobody will stand. God, if you mark iniquities, there is no one who will stand. Man, woman, or child. No one will stand. Everyone is is condemned as guilty. I hope the takeaway for you is that you're not left thinking, I'm bad, but she's worse. I'm bad, but he is ten times worse than me. Because when we face the judgment seat of God, maybe you're right. She is worse than you. And he is ten times worse than you. God's going to deal with her. God's going to deal with him. But God will also deal with you. You can't hide behind anyone else. You can't distract God with somebody else. Children, have you tried to pull this one? Where your parents are trying to starting to zone in on you and what you're doing wrong, and then you, you start you keep pointing the finger over there. Hey, what, what, what about what about her? What about him? Look, 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 look at that. No, no, no. The question is you right now. And so we look at the parable of the unmerciful servant, Matthew 18, that we read earlier. The description given was that this servant, the unmerciful servant, that he owed 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. He couldn't live uh, 10 lives, 100 lives, whatever. He couldn't live long enough to work long enough to pay off that debt. It was an unpayable debt. 
And that you and I, we ought to walk away understanding that when it comes, not to finances, when it comes to sin, you and I cannot pay that debt. That the sins that we've committed, even if you committed, which you haven't, and I haven't, even if you're only one sin, one sin is damnable in hell for eternity. And you and I have far more than that. Psalm 40, verse 12, more numerous than the hairs of my head. You think about how many hairs on the head we have. I think it's somewhere 80,000, 100,000, something like that. But here, it's figurative, right? It's describing there's a whole lot of sins. There's a whole lot of hairs. That this verse, and forgive us our debts, is a plea, and it's, it's got to be first an admission of sin. And forgive us our debts. When we're asking God, forgive us of our debts, it's got to be the case that we're admitting that we're sinners. That we have debts. And it's not singular. Forgive us of our sin, not this one sin, but plural, there are many sins. But is admission enough? Well, when you look at people in general, admission of sin... Some people can't even do that. In their heart of hearts, Romans 1, to verse 32, that speaking about those, uh, those who are wicked, it says that they know God's righteous requirements, and, and yet they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Meaning that even for the wicked, they know God's law. God's law, Romans 2, is written on our hearts. That those who don't have the law, those, those who, hey, I've never opened the Bible, uh, I don't know what the Bible says, they can't claim ignorance. That law is written on our hearts. But you think about admission. Yeah, so I sinned. Is that really enough? Is that, is that all there is to repentance? The answer is no. In dealing with people, sometimes they can't even admit sin. And others, they admit sin, but they keep doing it. Oh yeah, I know that's bad. I know that's harmful for me. I know that's harmful for everyone around me. So then, are you going to stop it? Well, no. And, and this is where sin is irrational. Sin doesn't make sense. So you think about repentance, <clears throat> this admission of sin, this, this plea and forgive us our debts, it's not enough to say, God, please forgive us of our debts. Repentance involves far more. We've got to be able to uh, confess the sin. So the three C's, contrition, confession, conversion, those are the simple ways to remember uh, the aspects of repentance. So uh, confession or admission of sin, we have to be able to admit that is sin, that God defines it as, as sin. Any a lack of conformity uh, or transgression of God's law. But there also has to be contrition. That is, is there, on your part, on mine, some type of mourning for sin? Is there a sorrow? Do we sorrow for our sins? And I'm not, I'm not saying this is confused. This is often confused with, I'm sorry for the consequences that sin has brought upon me. Well, I've sinned in this way, and I've lost these privileges. I've sinned in this way, and I've lost that person's trust. 
That's not the same as sorrowing for sin. Sorrowing for sin must begin with how we've offended God. Often when people sin, they say, wow, God is actually grieved by these things. That I've grieved the Holy Spirit. And if there's going to be proper repentance, there must be an understanding of how this sin offends God and grieves Him. And then there's the matter of conversion. So this sea of conversion has to do with, is there uh, a willingness to change? As our Shorter Catechism talks about endeavoring after new obedience. Endeavoring after new obedience. <clears throat> so, if there's repentance, there has to be a willingness to say, yes, I admit that sin, and I'm grieved that I've offended God, and maybe also offended man, but then there's also the willingness to say, and I'm going to give that sin up. I'm going to forsake it. I'm going to toss it into the valley and burn it. Meaning that for sins, for people who go to hell, they go to hell grabbing onto their favorite sins. When in the gospel, the offer is let go of those sins and grab hold of Jesus Christ. No, I'm, I'm taking this downward path on this roller coaster to hell. There's an unwillingness to let go. And so when we think about our sins, when we ask God, <clears throat> forgive us our debts, what we're saying is, we are willing to forsake these sins. How often is it <clears throat> that you hear people say, oh, this person has sinned against me. Well, are you willing to forgive him? Well, no, I'm never going to forgive him. Well, what if that costs you your own soul? Your own salvation. Well, I'm so unwilling to forgive him that I'd rather go to hell. You realize that is what bitterness, that is what that is what unforgiveness is. It's saying, I'd rather go to hell than to forgive that person. <clears throat> Here, this plea, and forgive us our debts. Not only is it an admission of sin, this plea is an admission of your inability to pay. So when we pray this prayer and forgive us our debts, what we have to give up is saying, be patient with me and I'll pay you everything. We've already given that up. When we're praying this prayer, we're saying, God, I cannot pay you. When you think about debts... Think about someone who is a debtor and he might owe it to a bank. When that person dies and you are related to that person who has died with debt, closely related, meaning a descendant, you are a child, that, that bank will then come after you, right? Saying, hey, because you were born to so-and-so, that you died, he died with this debt, now you must pay. Or you think about it another way. You have a debt. You could ask for help. Hey, I'm trying to pay. And mom, dad, siblings, can you help me to pay? This is, this is where uh, family tensions start to grow, right? <laughs> I, I've done a stupid thing, and I need someone else to help me pay. But in that situation, 
It might lead to family tension, but you know what? They can still help you to pay. But you realize, with the debt of sin, nobody, nobody in your family can pay. The soul who sins is the soul who will die. So your parents are very faithful. Well, that's great. That doesn't get you forgiveness. You must deal with God directly. Yes, there are promises for for households, but you don't get into heaven, you don't receive forgiveness because your parents are very faithful. You get into heaven because Jesus is the one who has paid it on your behalf. That your sins must be dealt with and that your sins must be paid for by another. Either you will pay or Jesus will pay. That you embrace the promises of the gospel and you say, Jesus, I need you to pay. And I need you to pay it all. So for this, and forgive us our debts, you are admitting, God, I cannot pay these debts. I need the help of another. And it comes only through Jesus Christ because you have freely offered Him to us. This is admitting that our merits are not enough to satisfy God's justice. All the good work that we say, oh, but God, I'm going to do all these things for you. You can't pay the past sin. All the good you're saying that you're willing to do, He's already required of He's already required that of you. That's required today. That's required for tomorrow. And you can't pay a past sin with it. Now, what are some of the obstacles that prevent us from seeking God's forgiveness, from praying this prayer and meaning it, and forgive us our debts? There are two. At least two. One is pride. The other is self-righteousness. You'll see that those pride and self-righteousness will come up again in dealing with the sins of others. This pride says, my sins are not that bad. Or, hey, my sins are not that many. Hey, I don't have that many there. They're not that bad, right? Come on. That's pride speaking. And then there's self-righteousness, which says, be patient with me, and I'll pay you everything. I will pay it off my own. I don't need your help. Those two things, pride and self-righteousness, are the very thing that paves our path to hell. When we say, we don't need your help, I'm not that bad, and I will pay it off myself, what we're saying is, God, we want to deal with you in the matter of justice. right? We can deal with the matter of justice, and I will be able to hold my own. Let's not talk about that. That's, that's, a, that's a no-win proposition. When God comes to us with the good news of the gospel, with the free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ, He's saying, your debt is too big to pay. You must admit this debt. You must confess this debt. You must grieve over it. And you must embrace the promise of Jesus Christ because He is your only payment of debt. That you and I should be saying, God, whatever you claim about us is true. Because you see, that's, that's part of the pride. God is saying, your big problem is that you are a sinner. You've offended me. You've offended my holiness. And that all who have done so will pay eternally in hell. 
So that when he claims that about us, we ought not to look for any exceptions. We ought to say these are the terms that the Almighty, faithful God has given us. And that we ought to say we accept those terms. We will embrace Jesus Christ. We will trust Him for our salvation, for our forgiveness of sins. And we will follow Him all the days of our life. That is our response. That understanding the very heart of God is essential here. God does not delight in bringing judgment and suffering on the wicked. He's not in heaven with this laugh when, when He sees people suffering. This is not our God. It's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. It's because you acknowledge God has made us these promises. He, he's freely willing to receive sinners that we would say, okay, I'm going to confess my sins to this God because He's promised that He will be gracious and kind to receive us. Psalm 130. Read there. In verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. God is above every God. You see, He is the one who settles the account. He's the one who has the book. He has the, the hard document, the ledger. So it doesn't matter who claims that you owe them debts. At the end of the day, that one book that God has, the ledger book, when He crosses out debts, when He cancels debts, when He pays debts by His Son, Jesus Christ, nothing else matters at that point. So you and I should have that one response, that we will trust Jesus to pay it all. He freely pays it on behalf of sinners. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. That Jesus who is just died for you and I who are unjust. That He died for all. That we might be brought to God. That we might stand before Him and be forgiven. This is the good news of the Gospel. We think about how often we ought to pray this prayer. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. This gives us some idea of the frequency. Do you need to eat every day? Well, yes. And do you need to ask forgiveness every day? Well, yes. You should ask for it as often as you sin. And let's not, let's not beat around the bush here. For people, it's not as if we can say, you know what, I've been great this week. There was one day this week that I didn't sin. Okay, let's not fool ourselves. There's no day that we get by without sinning. It's the question of, simply the question of how many sins each day. So we should be praying this prayer all the time. And you notice, it's the us. It's the first person plural. It's not just praying, forgive my sin. It's forgive our sins. You should be praying for those around you. Just as... Give us this day our daily bread. We should be concerned about the daily sustenance of those around us. We should also be concerned about the souls of those around us. That it should grieve us when others are hardened in their sins. That we should be praying regularly for those around us. That they also would receive forgiveness. Because this is good news. And that you and I ought to hear it. That we ought to believe it. So this is the first point. 
your plea for forgiveness before God. We have in the second point, your pattern of forgiveness towards men. Your pattern of forgiveness towards men. Second half of verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here we need to start out by saying that this is not transactional. As we also have forgiven our debtors, it's not a quid pro quo, it's not a tit for tat. If you are faithful to forgive those who have sinned against you, then God will forgive you. It's not transactional, meaning, hey, these are wages. You forgive others, and then you earn your forgiveness from God. No, this is, this is not true. That's not what it's saying at all. Okay, so let's, let's get that clear. Let's get that out of the way. What it is saying is that there's some pattern. There's some pattern. The pattern is that those who are forgiven by God are those who forgive others. That forgiveness of men in your life is an appropriate gauge about your forgiveness from God. So I ask you, do you find yourself constantly thinking about the sins of others, particularly those who have sinned against you? Is that your constant thought? Well, this guy did this to me. This person said this about me. And I'm going to get back so and so. That you go to sleep thinking about it. And you wake up thinking about it. That these are all the injustices done against me. And I'm looking forward to the day when God, He's going to throw His lightning bolt and condemn all those people. Forever thinking those things about me. Because I've got bad news for you. If that's your thought, if this is your thought life, if this is your focus, this is your attention, then this, this matter here, as we have also forgiven our debtors, sounds like you haven't. If that's what you're constantly thinking about. Maybe another matter that's raised. For people who are despots, I ask you, do people need permission to disagree with you? Or are you able to say, you know what? That's my opinion. Everyone is free to their opinion. You're not required. Uh, you're not required to think what I think, right? You don't need to get my permission to disagree with me. We can disagree about things and still be friends, right? We can disagree about things and still be friends because I think there's somehow a correlation there. People who dislike others who disagree with them because they have differing opinions, they they tend to go together with those who who hold bitterness and grudges against other people. Here, there has to be an understanding about the very heart of God. Have you come to understand the richness of God's grace? If so, you wouldn't be dwelling on the sins of others. You'd be dwelling on your own sins. You'd be dwelling about your own sins and saying, Wow, God has forgiven me of this great debt. This is the kind of person that I was. And when I see those people, I look at it and say, Wow, God has saved me from those things. God can save that person also. Instead of condemning those people and looking down on them, we can say, That is what the person I was. This is exactly who I would be. And there would be patience rather than a harshness in condemning There's also understanding the heart of God. 
Because God is one who delights when the burden of your guilt is removed. You see, in the good news of the Gospel, Jesus lifts the heaviest thing that there is in this world. And that's the burden of guilt. That's, part, that's like the description of forgiveness. Is someone is, is carrying this massive debt and this massive rock on them. And that Jesus is one who comes by and just lifts that right off. says, you're forgiven. I, I'm taking this load off of you. When, when there's unforgiveness on our part towards others, we're trying to heap more rocks and weight on other people. This is what that guy did to me. You need to know what you did, and this is so bad, and, blah, 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 and it doesn't end. It doesn't end. The blessing of having burdens removed from you and understanding the, bur- the, the, the blessing is having burdens removed from others. The way that God does it, understanding the heart of God, is that He conquers His enemies by making His enemies His friends. While we were still yet sinners, while we were enemies of Christ, Christ died for us. Huh. I'll show you how I deal with my enemies, God says. I send my son to the cross to die for those who are still speaking blasphemous things. This is exactly the life of Paul. That while he was persecuting the church, while he was uh, throwing Christians into prison and killing them, you have Jesus who confronts him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We look also again at these obstacles to forgiving others. Very much the same as obstacles to asking God to forgive you. It's pride and it's self-righteousness. When we are unwilling to forgive others, what we're saying is that your standard, my standard, my holiness is far better and far higher than God's. God, you may have forgiven that person, but I haven't. My standard is higher than yours. I must be the one who meets out justice myself. I can't trust you with that, God. That's pride talking. This is pride that prevents us from forgiving others. And then there's self-righteousness. My sins are less in number or severity than the sins of others. Either one of those two, pride, self-righteousness, it will keep us from forgiving others. Does this describe your life? Are you in this mode where you're so constantly fixated on the sins of others? The end result is that the prayer and forgive us our debts becomes less and less. Because, hey, I don't have any sin. It's all Him. And then you start to see the sign of the imbalance in your life. The imbalance, hey, we should constantly be praying about, about forgiveness for our sins because they're many. And then we also should be praying for the forgiveness of other people's sins, but they're, they're not as many. We, we, we don't know what's in their heart. When, when others accuse us of certain things, maybe the first response we should have is, you think that's bad? I can, tell you, I can tell you other things that are in my heart that are ten times worse. Oh, that's nothing. And so it ought to be that there ought to be confession on our end before God 
and the uh, accusations that we receive, to some degree, part of them are true, at least to a certain extent. And we think about the examples that Scripture gives us about Christians who are forgiving towards others. The best example, of course, is Jesus Christ. Luke 23, 34, dying on the cross. You think about, <clears throat> think about how that one centurion, or that one Roman soldier, who witnessed Jesus breathe his last, and something about what he saw, he was able to conclude, truly this is the Son of God. Perhaps it was the fact that he, he was there witnessing Jesus on the cross, and that there was not one curse that came out of his mouth. There was not one hateful thing that he spoke. And it's like, hey, I've, crucified, I've witnessed the dying, crucifying of many people, and he's the only man who didn't curse everyone in this world, including their own mothers. Think about all the hatred that comes out, because at this point, no one's going to do anything to you. And that Jesus there was saying, Lord, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here's Jesus asking His Father, forgive these people who have sinned against Him. And then there's Stephen. Stephen in Acts 7. This is called uh, preaching the Word of God unto death. Stephen's farewell sermon, he's preaching to the Sanhedrin, he's preaching to the 70 Jewish leaders the elders of Israel, they rule over uh, the Jewish church, over their nation. And he is preaching because he has, it seems like, almost a death wish. And they're so angry with Stephen that they drag him out of the assembly. And these are old, seasoned, grandfatherly-like men who are gnashing their teeth and they're throwing rocks at him to stone him. And while he's dying, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against him, against them. You think about how he's not breathing murderous threats of God will condemn you, God will judge you. He doesn't say those things. He's actually saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. What kind of man would pray such a thing? It takes such a man who's been, who has been forgiven a great debt to be able to say, wow, that person's sin is great, but my sin is actually far greater. He's not breathing murderous threats. He's not breathing anything dealing with revenge against these people who are actually taking away his life. As, as the stones are hitting him, he's losing consciousness. The last thought that he has is a blessing for those who are taking his life. And then you have the Apostle, Apostle Paul. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 to 16. I thank Christ our Lord, who has given me strength, that He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to His service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. There is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. Here, 
The Apostle Paul was chosen of God. One who is the worst, so that he might be a witness, a testimony to sinners. He's saying that he is actually the worst. And with maturity came that. That if God can save the worst, He can save any. That you and I might acknowledge this truth about God. Closing in Psalm 130, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Ultimately, our trust in God says that it's not our own works. It's not what we've done. It is God who will redeem Israel. It is God who will redeem all His people from their sins. That Jesus was sent because He will save His people from their sins. That you and I are trusting that when we pray to God and ask for Him to forgive us, it's not because of anything we've done. It's because Jesus paid it all on our behalf. We're trusting in His mercy and His goodness. That when you and I deal with others, that we are offended, that we are uh, not only insulted, but our, our lives are being harmed, our property be, is, is being taken, that you and I would say, God, at the end of the day, you sort out all the debts. I need not be concerned about those people who have harmed me, because there's only two options. Either that person will pay eternally, or that person is a fellow, fellow brother or sister in Christ to me, we together have benefited from the perfect perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So I have no claim on this person. There's only two possibilities. And that when you and I think about how others have sinned against us, how great of a witness this is, when those who are our enemies, who have sinned against us, that we might though be those who show kindness in return. That this is the beginning of of a good and godly witness. When we can say, you've sinned against me, but I'm going to show you kindness. Well, why have you done those things? Because there was one who showed me kindness also when I sinned against him. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the best witness that we have when we return not evil for evil, but we return good and kindness for the evil that we receive. That Jesus set that perfect example for us and he calls us to follow him. We go to our